When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey everybody, it's Brian House here for Housework and welcome to episode number one of the Work For It podcast. I am joined by a good friend and a fellow house worker. His name is Trent Hill. Say hi, Trent. Hello, everybody. And we are in the studio. I'm actually in Florida. He's in Wyoming. And we are just kind of experimenting with how this whole podcasting thing works. But uh, you know what? To be honest, we're just going to have a conversation, introduce ourselves a little bit, and then we have a couple of brief topics that we want to go over. And I'm going to kind of give my, uh, you know, my weekly synopsis and uh, tell you what's happening in the workshop and the studio. Uh, so, Trent, I was going to tell you uh, earlier, but I figured this would be good podcast fodder uh, that um, I successfully cut out two of the platen brackets on the table today. And I know that sounds like it might be a little bit redundant from some of the other things I've done on the YouTube channel. But uh, I actually used G-Code that was generated by the, this program called SheetCam. And what SheetCam does is it takes, uh, say, a part, and then it asks you, okay, how big is the piece of steel that's sitting on your table? And then it kind of helps you duplicate those parts and lay them out in a way that would be the most efficient use of that uh, piece of plate steel. And... I, it's like I've done one, but I did the G code infusion and then, and infusion, it walks you through a lot more. It's like a little bit more handholding that goes on infusion Yeah. with sheet cam. It kind of pushes you to, uh, know those settings by yourself. And, you know, so I had to go back and reference like the pierce height, the cut height, the inches per minute and all that stuff. And, uh, I was successful, although I will say I, um, I'm still having a little bit of an issue with the pierce. It's a little bit muddled, like it's messy, and it's causing a divot in the piece. Nothing that affects its use. It's just not, in my opinion, perfect. So um, big success there today for me in the Crossfire Pro Plasma CNC table. Well, I'm glad to, to hear that uh, it worked. I've I've always wondered 
<clears throat> Sorry, I've always wondered about the workflow on the Crossfire because I'm not familiar with their operating system. Although I am happy to see that it's it's not a mock-based software, considering that's been out of date for at least ten years. Yeah, they don't use the Mach three. Although you can get you can get an output file uh, that will use Mach three. But uh, I think they're moving everything out of that now. They're moving everything, everybody towards Fusion. And Fusion mm -hmm. has that nice manufacturing component to it. So you basically go in there, you draw your part, you have your sketch up on the, uh, the screen, and then you go into the and change from design to manufacture. And then it starts asking you questions like, well, what are you going to, how are you going to cut this part out? Is it a plasma torch? Is it a you know, is it a CNC three access, whatever, and, uh, what kind of stock it is. And then, and from there, that's where the hand holding begins. Yeah. And that's why I liked it. However, there's no functionality like sheet cam. Sheet cam has that duplication functionality and the nesting functionality yep. that fusion lacks. And, uh, there, you know, there's some good things and bad things about both. I would really prefer to use all Fusion products, just output the G code one time and just, you know, set it and forget it. I tried that. I tried doing it by hand. And uh, the code or the program was so big that I felt like my machine, as nice as it is, it's like an i7, uh, you know, beefy machine all ssd hard drives i mean everything it's like a it's a nice big machine it mm -hmm. was it was choking on it on that file in sheet cam it, it it just it output it in like three seconds it was it was really interesting the difference in resource allocation it, it sounds like uh well i mean i know that sheet cam has been around for oh geez at it's least like 10 years right yeah well I would say probably 15 or 20. Yeah, Les probably. has been coding that. And you know what's funny is he still responds to the support emails, the guy that actually wrote the software, because I wrote him, and I told him what we were doing. And uh, I said, oh, we have a YouTube channel, and it's like got 20,000 subscribers and blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, well, that's nice. <laughs> like he, he, was, he didn't even mention it. I was like, well, because the, the reason why I asked, I asked him a question, I said, I want to use a license in both locations, which according to his uh, po policy on his software policy, it says that you can't do that. Right. And uh, I said, I don't, I'm not a manufacturer. I'm, you know, I'm going to put your product out and show everybody how to use it. So I was kind of hoping that I could get another license. And he said he would give me, you know, a second license uh, for the studio. Um, which was nice, but I thought it was kind of cool that he's actually still answering those emails, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, the, the original mock software, it was, I think it started out with mock went to mock two rather quickly. And then it was mock three forever. And then they, at, when they transitioned to mock four, the original guy who wrote it, uh, with a small team like a, a very small team. The guy's name was Art Fennerty. And uh, he was active in it all the way up until, God, I want to say 2008, 
2009 time time frame. I, I might be off one or two years there, but then, you know, he reached a point in his life where he just wasn't he wasn't willing to deal with um, transitioning it to the new right. uh, the new Windows new operating systems and you know all the changeover that would have to happen and somebody offered to pick the project up and he gladly handed it over yeah he uh, i hope he sold it and made a little bit of money on the 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 handover but i can empathize with that idea because even with the grinder project you know i'm doing that now the amount of support that i give that project is uh, is overwhelming at times like i have to set time aside every day to respond to questions um, and, and, you know, they come from like five different places. They're coming from YouTube and Facebook and sometimes Instagram. It's a little less on Instagram. I don't babysit Instagram as much. Um, although I contribute a lot to Instagram, I just don't, I, I dislike their messaging system a lot. Uh, but then also the contact page on the, on the, uh, email or through email basically. So if you go onto the website, you click through to contact, you'll end up at, you know, it dumps into my email and, uh, and you wouldn't believe the the pages of of emails I get from people in regards to I can tell that some of these guys are like product development dudes that like they bought my plans and maybe bought the plate steel parts or whatever. And then I think it's kind of fun for them to sort of collaborate and then also pick apart the design a little bit, um, yeah. you know, and I think most of them do it in a very diplomatic way. You know, they're like, Hey, this, I noticed that you did it this way. You could have done it this way. And again, my answer is always, you can skin a cat like 20 different ways. It's, it's the same thing really. But they all, you know, for the most part, everyone agrees that the design is fairly solid and that it's got a really good basis for the, you know, for what it's intended purpose is. Plus it has good scalability. You can make it bigger or smaller if you want, if you're like smart enough to kind of, work with proportions and all that you can do it and uh but i get some really really long emails from people who want to contribute to the project and i don't really know what to do with them in fact i might forward them to you like there's a couple in there there's like two emails i think you should you should read trent and go through them and just see if there's any validity to them uh they seem very valid to me. They're uh, a couple of them are just nitpicking and kind of pulling things apart of the, the design. But some of it is like really good. Like I wish I could um, modify the design to meet some of these uh, ideas that people are throwing at me. And I definitely will. You know, we're working on okay. like a Gen 3 version of it. So um, trying to eliminate the tube steel component component of it, which is a little bit difficult uh, so that, you know, whoever buys it would be able to all the steel you would get would essentially build the entire grinder sands, the electronics and the, and the wheels and all. Um, but that opens up a whole new can of worms. Like as far as, um, the reason why we went with tools, tube steel is because you grind the weld out of the middle and then essentially you have a pathway for a tooling arm. That is true. It's always going yeah. to be true. And to me, that was the easiest way to align the machine. Uh, it, it, it was the easiest way for me to tell someone to align it, if that makes sense. Like if I was to hand you a pile of steel that was all plate, 
you, the likelihood of you being able to cut that plate straight enough and weld it together, fabricate it straight enough to allow the travel on that tooling arm to meet the 90 degree off the drive wheel would yeah. be nearly impossible. I don't think many people think in terms of like, they're always complaining about the tube steel component of it and having to pull that weld out. And I'm like, well, you can do this a hundred different ways. You can cut the steel and in, in plate, and then you can try to line it all up and weld it together. But if you've ever tried to do that, you would, you would gladly go back and remove the seam out of the, out of the tube steel. Well, and that's, that's one of those, um, design for manufacturability. I, th I think that I, I'm not criticizing. I think that you are absolutely correct. It gives you, you know, relatively, uh, in, they're not, they're not absolute perfect nineties, but what it does is it gives you a relatively, uh, uniform 90 degree angle, uh, off of each surface or face so that you can yeah. reference the, the different pieces to assemble. Uh, I, I would j just, just spitballing here, not, not criticizing. Yeah. Go for it. I yeah, would consider, yeah, I would consider looking into tab and slot construction because with tab and slot construction, it is literally, you know, insert tab a into slot B and with some simple, you know, uh, welding magnets, like you can get from Harbor freight, or those uh, 90 degree clamp brackets, um, you can reference the faces to each other. So they are uh, a nice uh, straight perpendicular surface. So are you thinking like uh, almost like a dovetail situation without the do like without the angled component of the dovetail, almost like um, you, you would have, uh, you would have a, say you have a vertical surface. And yep. in that vertical surface, you would have either a slot cut in it or a notch in oh, the edge. Oh, slot. I got and you. And yeah, your, yeah. your matching piece your for your horizontal component, it would have tabs sticking out. And those would I index see. into each other. And then with your welding magnet, you can lock that 90 degree in. And then they just I see. Uh, tack and weld. And pop a tack. Where that yeah, yeah, yeah. Notch okay, yeah. And that tab That makes meet. a lot of I understand what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. And that can be done. You're right. That would yep. actually take a lot of And then of that the... makes it more of, more of a flat pack for you. So it helps with your, your packaging. And it helps with your ability to get more pieces out of your, your sheet steel. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Especially with uh, you doing the laser. Oh, yeah. The laser yeah, cut with pieces. Yeah. Yeah, with laser you can you can most definitely get that kind of accuracy. I mean, I'm seeing that I could probably do it on the plasma table, although there'd be bevels right. a little bit, but with the laser you don't get that bevel cut. You just it's a straight through uh slice, well, and, which I really like. And some of the be some of the beveling that you're seeing with the plasma cutter is not really a deficiency of the machine. It's it's the feed rate if especially oh, when you no have a, t a, a sharp tight corner you have to you have to slow down in those corners in order to keep your 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 face of the cut square okay like you, you i'm can't, running all my you cuts can't do like a, 20 a inches. relatively yeah it, it's just and it i i don't know the crossfire software um well enough to tell you which which uh 
um, variable to change, but you should have an option to be able to slow down in corners. Well, what they and just what the, slowing down she, in the cor corners will yeah. allow you to. What sheet cam does is it allows you to do a triangle, like a like a um, like either a loop or a triangle at that corner. So you you know you're pushing the loop. Your, okay, I'll try the loop then because uh, the corners yeah. aren't too tough. I mean they look okay. It's just right. the it's the it's the cut that's coming down into the steel it's slightly beveled uh i think it's slightly beveled in if that makes sense it's not beveled yeah out. yeah and that's so the that's the physics wider. of the and that's due to the physics of the the plasma jet the way that the the orifices are cut you okay. you always have a clockwise swirl in the in the plasma jet as it's ejecting from the torch and so when you when you are rushing into a corner and then you have to stop and then it has to accelerate in a different direction. So that swirl is continuing. You know, it's like flushing the toilet. After you flush sure. the toilet, it continues swirling until the bowl is empty. And then, you know, your tank fills back up and it'll reach a, a um, you know, a level of, uh, it's not the right word, but homeostasis in the bowl. You know, it rises to its original fill level. Sure. Well, yeah. So... The reason why I say that is because of that swirling motion. Um, you're not you're not emptying the tank and then refilling the tank, but what? <clears throat> pardon me. What you are doing is that swirl is continuing, and so that swirl, along with your forward moment or movement, you're getting you know your your nice cut, relatively ninety degree uh, face edge, but then when you go into a corner. It has to slow the machine down, but that plasma torch is still firing. So you you actually get a little bit more erosion right there at those corners, and that's what's beveling that edge out. I see. Okay, well, I'll give that a shot. I'm actually probably not going to cut the sheet today. I thought initially I was going to cut the whole sheet, and then I've got some of these divots and things that I really need to examine the the arc radius coming into the cut first and yeah. foremost yeah. Uh, it's set at like 0.15 now or something like that or 0 0.015 and then the distance which is 0 0.019 and that seemed to be okay when i was pumping it out of fusion but then now that i'm using sheet cam it's a whole different story so it, it, it seems to be a little bit more sloppy which again not 100 percent bothering me but it's just these little tiny minor things that when I were to, if I were to cut an entire sheet of these, there, the cleanup would be crazy. It would just be too much. When I cut one or two, no big deal. I can pump that out of fusion one or two, and it looks really good. Like even the bevel is gone, and uh, all, for, for the most part, it's still there a little bit, but it's it's for the most part gone. It's just sheet cam. There's some setting in there that I'm not matching up. But I wanted to ask you, Trent, about. Uh, your work history, you know a lot about uh, machining and CNC. Could you give me like just a brief synopsis of who you are? Because we didn't really go over that. People are like, who's this Trent guy? <laughs> like, why is he on his channel? Like, what's going on there? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, my name's Trent. And for the last uh, pretty much 20 years, I've been working as a machinist for... 
various fabrication <clears throat> and machine shops uh, and started out uh, doing a lot of repair and manufacturing for oil field tools and over the years have transitioned into designing and developing tools and then uh, recently within the last year I went out on my own and have been learning the ropes of entrepreneurship. Very cool. So when you, so you saw my YouTube uh, post about starting a podcast and doing that work, and uh, and you and I had had you know numerous interactions before this, but we we were always talking on either the YouTube platform or on email or whatever. And then uh, basically we jived and gelled. I mean, you saw the projects I was working on and you had a lot of interest in them and you saw that we had a lot in common. And uh, it was kind of interesting how it all came together because my thought is on, on podcasting and doing this kind of work is that I'm good on camera and I can talk at a camera and all that and, and you know visually show you what I'm doing and learning and people find it interesting uh podcasting not so much for me in my head i i think well i can talk to a microphone all i want uh, about whatever but i really want someone to riff off of but that requirement really is somebody that for me anyway i really wanted to bring in somebody that i could learn from and that had a, a perspective that was similar but had a lot more knowledge on certain things and i think what people see uh i think what the layman sees like when they watch my show on youtube they see a guy figuring it out you know but the added component to what i've been up to has been always involving the the viewer and it's been a part of what i wanted to do from the beginning was to really involve the viewer like hey what are your ideas i'm not the you know every single time i get a comment and majority of the comments are super helpful i think i would have never thought about that i would have never uh come up with that concept on my own and people freely give away this information and because they want to be a part of it they want to say like for instance uh, the little spacer on the revolution the one that goes on the uh, three-quarter inch bolt that sits between the hinges yeah. that was a, a youtube comment that was a viewer that said that they're like hey you should do that because when you go to take it apart someday to clean it you'll have that like 0 0.030 you know space in there where you know you go to put it back together or it's going to rub on those and wear those out and not the pillars i mean yep. just simple stuff like that i would have little tiny details i would have never thought of and and in fact you have commented numerous times on things and i have accepted and agreed with your comments and used your ideas and everything so it just works out to have you on the show i think it's for me it's like a win-win situation because i learned from you and the audience will learn from you. And then we'll also bring in people from the outside. Um, we've been talking, Trent and I had a long conversation yesterday about the, the direction of this podcast and which ways we want to take it. And I think the overarching theme was always, let's bring people in that are content creators and talk to them about their craft and learn from them. And we, we looked at a couple of people yesterday and we've reached out to a couple of people who we feel like will be great additions to the show, um, you know, from an interview standpoint. 
And then also it'll be a great cross promotion for them because we were looking at what was the channel we were looking at yesterday? I can't even remember now. It was Builder Creator or something yes, like that? Yes, Builder Creator. And his name is Jay, right? Yes, Jay Jarvey. Uh, he's okay. he's an interesting guy. He uh, well, if you if you watch his the the, I think he's got an entire playlist put together. But it's his Arate Supercar build series, and if you go back to the very beginning, he explains how he got to the point of building this car. He originally uh, had. He had started to build his own car when he was 16. And, you know, the the issue with that was that he, he had no lack of gumption, but he didn't have a fully developed set of skills. You know, he was, he was young. He was putting this together. And then over the years, he's, he's made a business from the skills that he's learned. He's a, he's a product and prototype engineer and over the course of the last uh, not quite 40 years but almost 40 years he's assembled a pretty interesting set of skills and abilities and now he's he's able to to finally uh, put those to use to build the car that he wanted when he was 16. Yeah, I, ju I just pulled up his his YouTube cha channel, and it, he's got only 239 subscribers. So if you're listening to this, go check it out. Builder Creator, it's all one word. Um, I'm I don't fully understand the podcast uh, abil our ability to share links and all that yet. So I'll find a way to to get the links out to you. But uh, I think his content is really well produced. I mean, for a guy who's getting such little exposure. Uh, and I've been there, so I know how that feels like. Um, he deserves the recognition. He he deserves the views. So go check it out. He's he's actually maybe coming on the show, right, Trent? You you are you had reached out to him. Yes, and he he uh, he actually had thrown his or tried to contact you to be uh, participate in the podcast. No and, kidding. Uh, he said the the email bounced back, and he's been you know busy putting out fires around his place not lit not figurative fires not literal fires yeah i understand yeah, but sure. uh and then uh so i reached out to him and i said that i would like to put you guys in contact with each other so you guys can hash out the details because i don't know what his schedule is like but he he definitely seems interested and okay good i I, th I think he'd be a good fit not only for your audience but as far as like a working rapport yeah, I like uh, one one of the things like from just watching one of his first videos uh, or one of his latest videos, I should say, is that he incorporates the CAD portion. So when he's designing a part, he shows like how he did it and then how it's being machined, which I think is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's there's not a lot of guys doing that. You know, he screen grabs the, the process and, and then shows shows how it's done. So uh, we'll, we'll be looking forward to having him on the show uh, very soon and, um, and then other creators. So if you're a creator and or uh, somebody who is uh, making things or, or building, uh, say, a business around uh, things that you make or content that you make, reach out to me, brian at housework.us. I would like to chat with you and um, possibly bring you on the show with Trent and I. Also, uh, Trent, I was going to tell you, my wife uh, is 
going to be joining us on a couple of episodes to discuss what it's like to be sort of on the back end. So I don't know if you know this, but my wife is a um, very talented graphic designer. Awesome. And, and yeah, she's awesome. She does. If you see anything like any photographs of me uh, or the, um, the, the logos and all of that, that's her. She, she does all that work. And uh, so she's clamoring to join us on the, on the uh, podcast not all the time. She she she's working a full time job. She works for a fintech company, but okay. uh, you know she wants to j- come in and chime in and talk about her experience uh, in sort of what it looks like from a creator standpoint, being married to a creator too. So that's an interesting perspective. It is, and uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier because the the more conversational this can be, the more back and forth. Uh, you, you never know what tangents are going to open up. Yeah, no doubt. And she's really funny and has a really cool kind of a funny, cool insight on some of the projects that we've worked on because uh, we bounce a lot of creative things off of each other. And, uh, you know, of course, I annoy the living snot out of her at times with whatever <laughs> I've got going on. So and I, I become obsessed with certain subjects. Right. I don't know if you do the same thing. Yes, but I, I, I nerd out. And yeah, nerd. Yeah, that's what you call it is nerding out. I do the same thing. And she's like, Oh, my God, I cannot watch another two by 72 belt grinder build on YouTube, <laughs> you know, because half of them are all from like Eastern Europe. And there's no talking. It's just like a guy like building a grinder. Yeah. And some of them are just terrible. You know, they're just they're like they're good video quality, but the builds themselves are just really not that great. But uh, it, I, I appreciate it. Like I'm watching a guy kind of do something. And maybe use tools that I wouldn't use or maybe use a design that I wouldn't have thought of. So it's kind of fun for me to watch while it just annoys the living crap out of her. So it's it we'll get all that skinny on that at some point, I think. So but uh, but yeah, so tell me um, again, Trent, uh, you know, going back to your history, uh, being a machinist working and and you kind of started talking about the industry you were in. Um, it was oil and gas, if yeah. I'm not Oil and gas development, specifically extraction. And you were part of like the the tooling development team, building different types of tools and designing tools. Yeah, I've I've worked on uh, the actual from the drill bit end, and then I've worked on uh, finishing tools, which are the the tools that you're using after uh, you're you've drilled the hole and you're putting the casing in and you're uh, you know, you're, you're going down to, because like, like I was telling you yesterday, you, you actually have multi, uh, you have holes that produce both oil and gas. And so you've, you've got the levels mapped down the hole and you need to, once you've cased the hole where you put a, a steel, it's like casing a, a water well, you put a steel tube in to keep that a hole that you've drilled from falling in collapsing. Is and it then, like a sleeve? Yeah, it's like a steel sleeve. And then so uh, you'll have to, uh, like say you've got a gas layer, there's two gas layers above a oil deposit. You'll actually have to do what's called perforation. And so you have tools that are used to perform different functions in the actual fini- finishing operation. And then I've also worked on... Uh, I've worked on things like fixed bent housings and the uh, the uh, 
mud motors and remote electric drives and and pretty much pretty much everything that is involved with from making the hole from scratch to finishing the hole before uh, product can be pipelined out so are you now are you out in the field working on all this stuff or are you kind of behind the scenes doing the design work and then maybe go out and do some field testing what's what's that day-to-day look like well originally when i had started out i worked on a casing crew and that was how i first got my introduction to actually i should go back when i first got out of high school my first job was working on a pipeline they were building a pipeline from Cody to the refinery in Billings, Montana. Okay. And I started out just as a, a raw crew hand, you know, going down into the, the, the trenches that they're digging and throwing the bunking so that they can lay the, lay the pipe down. And then I progressed from there to the bending crew where they're actually, they bend the pipe for the pipeline. Uh, Cause you, you generally try to keep a straight line, but you've got hills and stuff, and so you've got to bend the pipe. It's it's literally a giant pipe bender, like uh, the the Harbor Freight units, sure for bending pipe. But it's it's a trailer sized apparatus that bends these these pipes so that you can have a gradual bend up and down hills. Um, so so every so just so you know the 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 concept of pulling oil out of the ground is. It is totally foreign to me and probably foreign to a lot of people. Although I will say numerous people who watch my channel are, are field guys. They're out working a lot of Texas. Uh, there's a lot of people from Texas that watch the channel and resonate with what I'm doing. Uh, and, and also, uh, strangely enough, Montana and Wyoming and Wyoming is like a very, um, unpopulated place. I mean, right. I mean, it's like the, there's not a lot of people that live. Yeah, it's the tenth largest there. state with the smallest population. We have, you probably have more people in your immediate vicinity than we have in the entire state. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, and funny enough, I actually have a a, a mentor here in Naples, uh, who is my business mentor, and she is from wyoming i don't know what town but okay. I, I she's from there you should you and should ask her and find out because i'll find out yeah it, it, you probably even know though it, it's right? a big state it's a small community <laughs> you're right right exactly um so getting back to oil and gas what i was what i was going to ask you was uh you're not so much in the industry anymore but i would imagine you're hearing the rumblings of what's going on with gas being or uh, uh, oil being so inexpensive um, you know, I think the last time I looked, it was like $18 a barrel. It's, it had gotten even lower than that at some point. It's been, it's um, been pretty devastating. Yeah. I would imagine that, uh, there's a lot of people in that industry who have lost work and are not, you know, able to go, you know, basically do the jobs anymore. Cause those jobs have, uh, dissipated for now. What is the future look like from your perspective you know, I'm, I'm sit, I'm the guy who's thinking about buying a Tesla, you know, I'm, I'm like, I love, uh, cars, but at the same time, I'm a big tech nerd, you know, and oil and gas, we had this conversation yesterday, but it was really good. We were talking about the slingshot effect of the industrial revolution yeah. and how oil and gas played a part in that. Yes. I feel very strongly, you know, my take on it, my, my take is that 
oil and gas was a necessary evil to slingshot us into the next level of technology so that we can we could uh, you know come up with a lithium ion battery we could you know we we if we didn't have that where would we be we need it and it was something that happened i think i think you i think you have put the neatest bow on it as far as the 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 necessary evil part of it the 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 problem has always been energy density that that's the real crux of the matter uh I, I have no particular, I'm not trying to be contentious or, you know, confrontational or anything uh, with any group. I, I live in a beautiful state. I want clean water. I want fresh air. I want all of those things that everybody else wants. The, the crux of the matter is that we have an, uh, an electric grid that is barely adequate for our existing services. We have areas where power is relatively cheap to produce and that has to be shipped out of state to consumers. And there are various problems with that. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We have, we have line losses. We have actual uh, conversion from fuel source, whether it's natural gas, coal, uh, even nuclear has problems with converting the energy into the steam that actually powers the turbines. Um, so you, you have a fuel inefficiency, and then you have the actual power production inefficiency, and then you have the transportation via lines. So there's a there's a power loss. And I, I'm not trying to make the argument that fossil fuels are better. My argument is that we still do not have an an energy capacity that is anywhere close. Tesla has made huge strides as far as their their battery capacity, you know, the ability to go 300 miles on a charge or whatever. Uh, It's always going to take, until we completely rethink not only the charging strategy, but how we're storing that energy that's pumped into it. We we have the, the power density, and the refueling capacity you know when cars when cars first originated we didn't have gas stations at every corner that that system that infrastructure developed over the course of you know a hundred years of the automobile being around and eventually it will be the same with electric cars the problem is that you know the battery pack on a tesla as far as i'm aware is roughly um, somewhere between a quarter to a third of the overall weight of the vehicle. Whereas yeah, when you, yeah. you pump fuel into your car, you know, unless you've got some big work truck with an enormous fuel tank, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'll just go on average and say it's about 16 gallons. Well, 16 gallons times eight, uh, pounds per gallon, you know, that's, that's not even, it's it's about an eighth of the right. actual total weight of the vehicle, but that's um, that's the thing with the, the Tesla. The Tesla weighs the same whether it's fully charged or discharged. Right. Your car loses weight obviously as the fuel is burned up. And, and, and something people don't also think about is that lithium is a finite resource as well. Absolutely, and, and, and that's what we're using to store all of this power now. 
Um, and it's also explosive. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're just on the cusp of figuring out, you know, lithium ion is fantastic. Yes. I mean, it's the, its ability to release energy at a slow rate and, and not, uh, overheat is fantastic, uh, until it's not until it off gases and it explodes. Yeah. Uh, but the, we see that in the tech industry a lot, you know, phones that, that go nuclear and, uh, and, and computers that expand and they've done a pretty good job of containing it now, you know, yeah. like these little black wrappers that go around everything. But if one of those gets pierced, um, they can ignite. I, I just, I feel very, I'm, I'm very, uh, confident that the with the same kind of uh energy that we've been using with fossil fuels just like any other economy we're going to find a way to harvest carbon and create uh, a, an economy behind harvesting carbon and using it for something whether that be carbon fiber or or whatever it is find a way to make money with it and then it will become valuable and it's all floating around in the air yep. somebody's going to learn how to harvest it yep. and we're going to solve our greenhouse gas problem uh, you know, there's there's very intelligent people working on that issue. And I and I makes me feel good. You know, for a long time, I was not feeling good about that. I, I was uh, one of the early pioneers of diesel engines being converted to run on vegetable oil. And in the state of Florida, it's really super easy because it's not very cold here especially like where I live. Yeah. Um, it's a viscosity issue. Like most diesel engines will run on vegetable oil, just the same as they will on diesel. It's the, the exact same thing without any mixture. It, the caveat is it's temperature related, viscosity related. So if it's cold and that oil is thick and can't flow, then, you know, obviously you can't use it. But in the state of Florida, I was able to burn. I bought a, an old Mercedes uh, 300 uh, TD. I don't know if you're familiar I with am. those. But the, those, yeah. those are tanks that'll go yeah. for. Oh, yeah. I actually have Half a friend a who's. Miles. I've got a friend who's got one. He it's uh, 74 or 75. He has well over 400 thousand miles on that thing, sure. and it's just as solid as the day he bought it. Yeah, they'll leak oil all day, but they'll just keep running. You know, the 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 engines will get covered in that black soot and everything. Yep. They'll just keep running. It's a it's a straight six diesel, uh, and uh, had quite a bit of power and everything. And I would go down to uh, the local French fry joint and uh, ask them if I could take some of their oil and then filter it and do whatever, run it through a, a micron filter and and then pump it into my tank. And uh, I bought the car with a quarter tank of gas. And uh, sold it with uh, uh, probably three years later when the air conditioning broke on it. I sold it. I was so annoyed. Um, I sold it for uh, about what I had into it, but I had never bought gas. I had never put a tank of gas in it ever. I converted it the day I bought it, and uh, that was it. Was it was a great setup? So, uh, but I, I was a big proponent of that for a long time, thinking like, oh, vegetable oil is like the answer. Well, it really wasn't. I mean, we're still burning the 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 um, byproduct of burning vegetable oil is still carbon, and it's still um, well, it's like carbon in water. Really, there was you know. But, uh, yeah, and there's the combustion temperature determines whether or not you've got the the nitrogen oxides and the other um, less than pleasant after effects of combustion. the the yeah. the The fact of the matter that people need to keep in perspective, and it's it's difficult to do because we're being inundated 
with information, facts, opinion, and conjecture. So separating the facts from opinions and separating the data from the conjecture is what drives a lot of the, uh, not just disagreements, but the, the emotional aspect of it. Sure. Everything throughout humanity's existence has been in a state of flux. We are not, no matter, you know, whether people want to go back to the, you know, the fifties was so great. Uh, my grandparents lived through the fifties. They also lived through the great depression as children. And from what they've shared with me, it, it was, life was not what was represented on TV. Real life was oh, yeah, no entirely way. different. It wasn't, it wasn't better. It was different. And, and I think that's what people need to keep in perspective is we, we are very familiar with what we're familiar with because that's our, our state of existence. But that's, right. that's not a static quantity either through time or through the course of our life. Things change. We get comfortable with things and then we get uncomfortable when they start to change. And some people are like you. They're early adopters. They can, they can try to – they can see – over the horizon or they can see enough of the horizon that they're they're curious about what's coming and they try to get ahead of that uh you have you have people that you know they're i i don't you know whether they're luddites or whether they're stick in the muds or whether they're just like oh well it works fine why change it you know you're gonna have those people the 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 fact of the matter is is that as a society as a species we're always moving forward and and you know i i think that people get so caught up in oh you know but we could do so much better and and i absolutely agree i think i think that as a species we we're doing actually a really good job of progressing the problem is because our lifespans are so short people don't really appreciate how far we've come in such a short time like in on a global time scale or not a global a geographical no not geographical a uh, in, in a like time a, in a, in a time space thing yeah in like, a in a time scale measured on like how long the planet has existed we've as a species have only been around a couple eye blinks what we've managed oh, yeah. to accomplish in the last two hundred years is absolutely incredibly complex amazing and we're we're just getting started i mean we went and, from and that's due to gas and oil i mean we you know if you really think about it we were climbing that ladder but we hit sort of a, a wall with technology when we started in microcomputing in the late 60s we would have never had that technology we would have never had access to that had we not had the industrial revolution and then ultimately led us into um you know where, where we are today in the information age i guess yeah so you know we wouldn't <clears throat> we wouldn't have had it one of my favorite uh quotes by the way i was going to tell you this yesterday but is uh john stewart i don't know if you're a fan of him but i i, I think he was great when he was on the daily show he said um Global warming doesn't exist because it's cold where I am today. <laughs> you know, it, it's that concept that, that we don't like change. Of course, nobody wants to admit there's a problem and blah, blah, blah. And, and again, I don't want to go down the whole path of um, of the politicizing the environment and all that. I just I like bringing it up because 
you're very close to that industry so you see it and um, it can be demonized all over the all over the world there's people that just don't take care of the planet it's just a thing people just don't think like that yeah the tragedy of the commons right exactly so you now but there's a whole bunch of people that do care that are really smart and they're 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 trying to figure it out well and and and, and that's that's the thing i I don't mean to interrupt but that's the thing I, i don't want people to get the idea that i'm an apologist I am absolutely not an apologist. My wife is a wildlife biologist. She works with raptors that have been injured and are, you know, their their chances for survival in the wild are, are nil. So they're rehabilitated and they're given a second life as education birds. And the majority of her birds have been injured by people striking them with their cars. Not uh-huh. not intentionally, but, you know, the birds fly. Sure. And because we have highways everywhere. Um, and, and that's, that's, I only say that because my wife and I live in a beautiful state that we enjoy the nature aspect very much. And we realize that we are stewards, not only of our environment, but we are stewards of our interests. We are stewards of our culture. We are stewards of our, of our collective community. And, and she is hyper aware of just how much, for lack of a better term, people suck. The, the, the thing is, is that you, you can, you can suck intentionally or you can suck in unintentionally being aware of something allows you to make the changes so that you can adjust. I'm not suggesting that everybody lives in a cave. I don't live in a cave. I don't want to go back to that. What I, what I do want is to be aware of the impact that I have on the world around me and to make whatever changes I can um, and slowly get better as not only a human being, but as a, as a person who uses resources so that I am not using them up willy nilly. I, I, I am not an apologist for the waste, for the um, damage caused, whether it's to, the environment as a whole or just you know the local blight that that is that is not what i'm saying but i absolutely agree with you that it had it not been for the use of fossil fuels we would not be anywhere near the uh, state of development that we're currently in and it is rapidly accelerating i think that people i think that people are so used to sound bites and headlines and whatnot that if they're not constantly being bombarded that that you know somehow we're just sitting on our hands out here and we're not we're trying to be more efficient you know it, it's it's like okay bringing it back down to the manufacturing level and you were talking about sheet cam the ability to nest more compactly and get more more parts per sheet that is resource conservation you, you are getting the absolute maximum benefit from that sheet because there is a certain amount of energy input that, the, yes, a lot of steel is recycled, but originally the ore had to be extracted from the ground. It had to be processed. It had to be refined in order to be turned into a refrigerator, which turned into a car, which turned into that plate of steel that you put on your plasma table. And so sure. to, to be a good steward, you know, not only from a manufacturing cost standpoint, but just thinking about the the life cycle of 
the steel that made it into the product that you're turning it into now. Being a good steward means using all of those resources at your fingertips and, and, and existing out there in the world and hunting them down and finding them to not only make your life easier, which conserves the most important asset we'll ever have. People don't understand this. The most important resource that we have is time. So not only, I, I don't mean, I don't mean use your time to produce the most because that may not necessarily be a good use of your time, but your time is precious. And so when you can optimize all these different steps for the things you are doing, you are contributing more, not only to your life, but to the human experience overall. And I 100% agree with that. I actually didn't think of it like that. When I, when I think of terms like this is how my brain works, right? When I think in terms of nesting, that's that part on that piece of steel. I think of it from an economic standpoint, like I don't want to waste that steel. You know, I know what that looks like. I don't want to waste it. And so when I did that, it was primarily for me, it was economic. But there's also, uh, uh, so that got like that whole, we can have a whole show on um, capitalism and e the economics of uh, what that looks like. Because w when, we, when we take things and make them more efficient, uh, it makes the capitalist in us happy. You know, when we get a good deal on something, it makes us happy. But there's also that thing, like, I'm going to go buy something used. Uh, and uh, like right now I'm doing the show in front of my, um, Logan 400 that was made in the, I believe it was, it's made in 1942. Okay. And it, it's still great. It's a great machine. I mean, it, it, it needs some tweaks. It needs to be updated a little bit, but it's still a lathe and it'll still do what all the grizzly boxes will do and all the jet stuff and everything else. It's, it's, it's a, it's a spindle yeah. lathe. It, it moves. Um, and this has been passed down probably i'm like probably like the 10th or 15th owner of it who knows but uh if you think about it in those terms is that that's all part of the conservation effort uh all right so not to completely change the subject but i want to ask you one final question and discuss this briefly we're right at 52 minutes and we're trying to keep this around an hour okay so this is a this is a debate that is uh, amongst some of the best debates, and I'm still on the fence about it. What is your take on the imperial versus metric argument for measuring? Uh, <laughs> it, you know, that's a great answer. Uh, yeah, jeez. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I understand the argument for the metric side. It, it you know, it's easy to count in tens. Uh, yeah. and being as we've used other, the, my problem with it is that the metric system we use now is not exactly the same as the SI that began under Napoleon's, uh, reign. So it has, it okay. too has changed over the last 200 years. Um, but now we, we know that, you know, a cubic center a cubic centimeter is exactly this much. A gram is exactly this much. And we are basing that off of other more universal constants. So it's tied in neater. Uh, the, the, I use both interchangeably. Uh, yeah, you know, while, or not just Wyoming, but the United States is a holdout. There are a lot of reasons, mostly because of cost. Uh, I don't think people realize that the inch we use now is actually a metricized unit 
um, it's it's tied lockstep to whatever standards the the metric community has imposed upon it. Um, it I understand that fractions of a king's theoretical foot is an odd measurement to people, but so is you know a cubic centimeter is based on whatever the whatever the standard it, that they based it on or the kilogram is based on this really uh interesting material that they've i think it's silicon carbide they made this really 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 round sphere of silicon carbide and it's that is now the world standard for what 2.2 pounds or one kilogram is and I, 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 you know, so we're still referencing the, the, the thing that will really put people's heads in a, in, in a, a twist is that that one kilogram sphere that they have in, you know, some, some lockbox somewhere over in Europe, that will maintain the same physical uh, dimensions pretty much anywhere in the universe unless you're right there on the event horizon of a black hole but you you do realize it will not weigh exactly one kilogram on mars because of the effect of gravity sure. it will not weigh sure. exactly one you know we're, we're basing everything off of a space-time um not even continuum but a space-time reference from our point here on earth sure the reason i bring it up is because Okay, I'm making these tracking mechanisms now, right. and uh, I, I I need a. Uh, okay, so if you reverse engineer the grinder, you can you, you can everything makes you have every single decision is like you have to go backwards. So okay, so the wheels are made from aluminum. They have a specific bearing in them. The uh, opening in the center of the bearing is exactly half inch, right, or a little bit over it, right. right. So the axle bolt that you need to uh, slide into the wheel or the wheel over that axle bolt is a half inch 13 bolt. And uh, that bolt gets threaded into a piece of half inch thick steel. And in order to tap, drill and tap a, uh, the hole for that, you need a 27 64ths bit. Right. And that's like extremely difficult to find. But uh, so and it turns out like if you go and buy a standard set of drill bits, it's not going to have that drill bit. In right. It. It's right. just a, that doesn't exist. Even if you go to, let's say, uh, Harbor Freight and you buy the uh, the little like, uh, uh, I don't know how many are in there, 29 or 35 uh, pack. It does not include that drill bit, interestingly enough. Uh, and it's because it's just such a rare size. People don't need it. You know, you're using it because you're creating taps. You're creating threads on the inside right. or something. So, uh, so I go to, uh, like a Ho home Depot or Lowe's cause I'm like clamoring to get this project done. I need to shoot the piece of content and, um, create the piece of content, edit it, the whole thing. I get it all cut out and I realize I do not, I have the tap, but I don't have the drill bit to, to the proper drill bit. Now, Yes, I could have fudged it and done a slightly smaller, bigger size, you know, whatever. Uh, but I chose against that. So I went uh, to Harbor Freight. They didn't have it. I went to uh, Home Depot, and I'm walking through the drill bit aisle. And, of course, I'm standing there, and I'm looking at all the drill bits. They don't have it either. And as I'm walking out, I have this thought. 
wait, I didn't see any taps anywhere. Maybe if I look where the taps are. So I walk a little bit further down the aisle and I find this set. It's a 2764 bit along with the half inch 13 tap. So, and you know who made it? It was DeWalt. DeWalt, okay. I was going to say yeah. Irwin because they usually do the... The, the, the combos. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, how brilliant of a solution. And, and how many people are looking for that damn thing and can't find it? And then, uh, you, know, guy, you know, so somebody came up with this concept like, oh, somebody's out there is going to need to tap, uh, you know, a half-inch 13 hole, and they, they're not going to have that drill bit. So we might as well sell them the tap, too. So it was like 12 bucks I think, for the set. And I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm buying it. I mean, now I have it. Of course, I won't use it very often. It'll be one of those things that sits in my drawer for a while. But, yeah, um, yeah. so that's the reason why I brought that up. Because when I mention that to someone who uses the metric system, they look at me sideways. Because, you know, when you, when you uh, for instance, like uh, we, we're selling our parts now in, in Europe. Everything's metric over there. So I had to redraw the entire grinder right. in metric right. scale. And uh, which is not a big deal. I mean, for most of it is it's all pretty much the same, except for the holes. The holes are all pretty important that you have like an M12 hole and an M10 hole. Right. Well, I'll be damned, man. Like after I got done drawing that up, I was like, this is so stupid simple. Like it's so easy. Like an M10 bolt goes in this hole, use a 10 millimeter. It's just in my mind, I think why don't we have a simpler solution for this here in the it, States? It's, so. it's stupid tradition. It, yes. I, I heard a quote once that I just adore. A tradition is a solution to a problem we've long since forgotten. Oh my God. Yeah, that's good. That's so true. We, uh, we just, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of going with one system for the whole world. Yep. When I worked in the airline industry, we just had Zulu time. It was fantastic. I just knew what time it was anywhere in the world yep. using Z time. It was just like simple, made complete sense to me and everyone who used it. Uh, and then of course now we have daylight saving. Okay. That's a whole nother conversation, but, yes. uh, but, uh, listen, we've reached our hour and, uh, I really wanted to say Trent that I appreciate you coming on the show and being a part of the show. And I'm looking forward to doing more with you. Um, I am uh, going to close out the show by saying, uh, if you, um, if you'd like to support what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to. That way you'll get a notification every time the work for it podcast is uploaded to that platform. And, uh, the goal is to do a, a show once a week. We have joined up with the Craig Lockwood and the Makery network to, uh, contribute to his, uh, classic cool idea of creating, a place where um, makers and like-minded makers can come together and find good content to listen to while they're working in their workshop. Uh, brilliant idea there, Craig. Thank you so much for including us. And uh, we hope to see you on the next episode of Work For It. My name is Brian House. And I'm Trent. I'm Trent. And thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, I threw that at you. You didn't know I was going to do that. But um but yes, thank you, Trent, and uh, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for hanging out. No problem. Thank you. All right, we'll catch up with you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.
Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.